it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, my guest is Anthony McCartan. He is a New Zealand-born novelist, playwright, journalist, TV writer, and a four-time Academy Award-nominated filmmaker. His films include The Theory of Everything, Darkest Hour, Bohemian Rhapsody, and The Two Popes. His novel, Going Zero, is published by Harper. Thank you for being here, Anthony. Delighted. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Going Zero, your latest work? Okay. Um... Well, the story really begins with 10 competitors who are facing off against a, a new state-of-the-art cyber surveillance facility that I've named Fusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a first-of-its-kind partnership between uh, the U.S. government and a social networks giant, and they need to beta test this thing to uh, to demonstrate their claim that they're able to find it as they say, anyone, any, anytime, anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the t- they have selected ten, 10 competitors who are tasked with going zero, which is, i.e. staying off the grid, avoiding capture for 30 days. The idea is that if all 10 fail to outwin with Fusion, then this private company behind it scores an incredibly lucrative government contract with unfettered access to the CIA's data plus a $90 billion contract. But as the competition gets underway, the somewhat sketchy CEO, uh, a guy called Cy Baxter, uh, is not much pleased when, against all the odds, uh, a mousy librarian from Boston is alone and consistently outwitting his super sophisticated tech toys. Um, So the answer to how she's doing this and and why, more importantly, she's doing this gives the story, I I hope, added liftoff and I I trust reader satisfaction. So that's right. Wow, that's interesting. It it sounds like it was heavily influenced by one of my favorite short stories of all time, Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, not not one I'm familiar with. Yeah, they they made a couple of movies about it. Um, I don't know if you remember the... uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Hard Target, that was based on that. And it's um, it's always about someone in power who's uh, brought someone into their control, what they believe is a controlled world, and then they decide to hunt them for their own game. So it's um, it sounds like this is definitely the 21st century version of that kind of a story. Um, what made you want to tackle this kind of novel since you know you did the theory of everything and then you were you went into history in two books three really so how did it really uh how did you settle on a thriller for your this latest novel i think the the, the subject matter dictated the form it wasn't my plan to write a thriller but the the subject matter sort of obliged me to take a sort of ticking clock approach to telling the story um that's inherent in the in the idea so it really began i i think the germ of this thing was in 2016, um, having a dinner party with friends, probably into our second bottle of wine. And we were talking about how we felt that our 
these phone devices uh, were working against us and spooky stuff was happening. Like uh, we were getting these uh, these product placement ads, um, you know, seconds after we talked about that very product, you know. Right. And, and it, it sort of merged into talking about the world we're known as kids, where it was easy to go off the grid. Um, I used to be a, a great sort of hiker and um, I'd leave my family for four or five days. They had no way of tracing me or knowing where we where I'd gone. Um, and so we started to speculate on how we would have challenged if we if we had to, how would we get lost? How would we go off the grid? What would we do? What would be our strategy? Right. And as we started throwing ideas around, I started thinking, hey, this is interesting. You know, it's an interesting way into the surveillance society that we're all living in. Right. Yeah. And then the lack of privacy and the uh, lack of the charm of distance that technology has taken from us. Um, what do you think about uh, do you? This is your first thriller, I believe you said, right? Right. Um, now, did you enjoy venturing into this new genre? I know you said you kind of you weren't planning on writing one. It was just the the uh, plot that made you uh, drew you to a uh, ticking clock. Did you enjoy the genre? Do you think you're going to stick with it for a while? Uh, I, I think I'm I, I'm I'm both attracted to the genre um, more than ever, but also deterred by the complexity and the difficulty of pulling them off. Um, this was a very difficult novel for me to, to figure out in terms of its plot structure. Um, mm -hmm. And it's given me a newfound respect for thriller writers. You know, I kind of, I guess you could loosely say I'd been writing literary fiction uh, for most of my career up till now. Um, right. But uh, if anyone is to, you know, um, suggest that it's a, it's some, some a sort of lowbrow art form and not as taxing or, you know, not as worthy of praise, um, then they're completely wrong. I mm -hmm. I found myself spending, you know, literally months just sketching out schemes for how to to to, to get all the pieces to work. Um, and for the, you know, the idea of this ticking clock, it had to be kind of like a Swiss clock, you know, with all the pieces mm -hmm. working together. So I, I um, found it enormously um, challenging satisfying and i i do think i'll i'll write another right right yeah because it's funny how all of the different genres have their own kind of audiences that you have to write for i would imagine i know with literary fiction they'll be more forgiving to let some certain plot holes slide but when you do a thriller for example you've got dedicated readers who are looking for those instances where you might not have gotten the details right Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, it's all suspension of disbelief goes and you probably throw the thriller across the room, you know, right. um, which you so you, you're, you're kind of a hyper aware of that as the writer. And so you're, you know, you have to sort of stress test all these, um, you know, plot twists and devices and say, would that, you know, is that believable? Is that achievable within that time frame? Right, exactly. Now, it, when it comes to your writing style, do you prefer to outline or do you allow the story to evolve as you're creating it? My approach has always been, it has been since, since you know, I had one or two false starts and I thought I've got to change something up here because I, I, I was unable to complete my early attempts at writing novels. 
um, mm -hmm. until I, I realized I need to know my ending. Um, many, many writers don't work that way. But for me, knowing the ending, uh, the ending sort of contains the DNA of the rest of the story. And so you right. can, when you know you're writing towards a certain point, you can you can do your feints and misdirects, and they are just that. It's not getting lost in the weeds, you know, which is how mm -hmm. I've been when I've been, you know, in linear fashion writing a novel. So there's a certain amount of planning, but I don't plan everything. And um, you need to the book needs to surprise you as you go. Right. You need to have some of those happy accidents, not only for the audience, but for you yourself as the creator, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes the things that you discover on the way force a, a reevaluation of of the structure you'd planned. And so you change the plan. But I, I, I've never really changed the ending. Um, and it, it, it's it's not until I feel I have an ending that is that is exciting to me that I even undertake a novel. Um, that's the sort of one of the boxes I have to tick. I have to go, great premise. How the hell would that end? And unless I know the answer to that second part, I don't begin. Right. Yeah, because then you never know where you're heading and you could veer off into the wilderness of what ifs and then you never have anything worthwhile presenting to the readership yeah. how is yeah go ahead no it's just we all know that kind of book right where, where it starts off so promising and holds your interest for two-thirds of the book and then just you know screws up the end game um you know so that right should be avoided if possible exactly exactly I know that you've done a lot of work on historic characters. What, how was the research for doing something for an actual uh, event like you portray in The Darkest Hour, Bohemian Rhapsody and the Two Popes? How did you find that different from your uh, world of your own creating in Going, uh, in, uh, going Zero? Well, when, you, when you're sort of fossicking through history, you're looking for that illuminating detail, um, mm -hmm. which you can expand upon and you have to give yourself a certain license you can't be completely constrained by history um i'm not a, a journalist i'm not making documentaries i'm i'm telling uh you know painting a portrait if you like and there's an mm -hmm. interpretive element in there so you, you you do a lot of reading i always do a lot of reading with something like darkest hour um you know you spend a lot of time in archives and you find the most incredible things so it's a kind of it's a similar type of discovery that you have when you're inventing a story however you know you have to find it you're an archaeologist you're digging in you know amongst all the ruins um but you are still allowing your imagination to invest meaning in certain things and you go this is what i'm going to focus on this is how i'm going to say something interesting and new and fresh about this well-known person which mm -hmm. is really um, the task I set myself, why why make a movie about Winston Churchill unless you've got something new to say about him? Right, right, exactly right. And that's the, the secret to anything, whether it's history-based or if it's uh, completely fiction, in, in this case of going zero, because you need to make the character relatable. And that's something that I've talked about in a lot of episodes of this podcast. Finding that one element that makes the protagonist relatable is incredibly important, isn't it? It is hugely, you know, so the sim the process is not that dissimilar because you do your reading, you do your research. And again, you're looking for that illuminating detail, which you haven't created. You found it in your research and you go, ah, this is this is going to be a key to a character. 
they are going to believe this or they're going to discover this. And suddenly your, your character, your sense of the character sort of fills out, becomes three-dimensional. Right. Yeah. And that's that's always important for being able to attract a audience. I know that it sounds like you've gotten bitten by the thriller bug. And I was wondering where where else you might be thinking about going in the genre. Is there another kind of story that you might be working on now or something that is uh that has come to you as you were doing research for going zero. Yeah, well, what, what often happens, of course, if you're blessed with a wonderful editor like I am, is as soon as you finished a book and it, it gets, you know, it gets, uh, you know, snapped up by a publisher, the next email is, what are you doing next? Um, and right. so it forces you to think, do I have something else that I'd like to explore? And I, I do think I have something. Uh, I'm not sure I, I should discuss it. Um, Mm -hmm. at this point mainly because it, i don't want to let the air out of the tires you know keep it to yourself for as long as you can um, exactly the best way to hear god laugh is to announce your plans yes so uh you know i was just wondering like since you enjoyed writing a thriller were you planning on sticking doing another one in the genre or were you just uh looking to go elsewhere but no it's it's another one in the genre um it's it's a similar techno um kind of thriller storyline um and it's about the world slightly in advance of today maybe only three days in the future but it's trying to anticipate some of the the real trends and the real issues that we're facing um, mm -hmm. because there's, there's plenty of them there are yeah and they seem to multiply every single day it's interesting when you you tackle the technological uh aspect of the thriller it, a lot of people think oh well it's just uh, fancy computer doing the role of what another character would have done 30 years ago. But it's not really the case, is it? It's often the interaction with the characters that we create with the technology that tell the true story. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it, we, we are having technology dropped in our lap that we haven't really asked for. I mean, a lot of technology through the ages has, has happened because somehow we've been pressing up against the moment and there's a human need and that human need drives the discovery but certain certain amounts of certain technologies these days are just dropping into our laps unsought unsolicited and and are actually um potentially dangerous and unwanted mm -hmm. uh, and these are some of the things that get me get me to my desk and wanting to write about them right yeah because it's it's interesting that the, the technology does benefit us a little bit, but it benefits the people who introduce it far more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think anyone can any longer deny that we're now seeing the widespread and often invisible erosion of our personal freedoms. And I think mm. it's through two causes. And one is ubiquitous surveillance, which is undermining our sense of privacy for those who mm -hmm. still care about privacy. And two, the replacement of of independent thought and judgment with these automated systems of control and behavior manipulation, basically right. uh, algorithms, um, infecting our attitudes and our, our opinions to the extent that um, we're being controlled. Um, these, are, these are two incredibly powerful issues that we're being very passive about. Um, mm -hmm. You know why? Why is there not a greater cry for a pause or 
more regulation until we evaluate, you know, the pros and cons of some of these technologies. And the news right now is, is you know, AI has just sort of broken upon us. No one sort of saw it coming so soon. Right. Uh, and I think it's why the reason we're so passive is that we're, we're so wowed by the miracles that tech has delivered that we, you know, we, we deem it as boring any talk of ethical considerations or regulation. Like regulation mm -hmm. is a buzzkill, you know, it's the concern of killjoys. Um, but while we do nothing, you know, this passivity, this terrible response lag time that we have, it's resulting in some some serious threats to, to what it is to be human, you know, increased uh, and even democracy, you know, increased radicalization, mm -hmm. uh, misinformation, you know, extreme ideologies being passed around as normal, um, shaming, obsessions with body image, body, bullying, um, and any number of other sort of tech-driven perils. So, um, you know, that, that, that I'm not campaigning, I'm not, uh, you know, um, preaching here on a soapbox, but... Uh, right. But those are those are themes that make me when you add them to a thriller story, I think make the story even more interesting to me. Right. Yeah, because it's like what I often refer to as the Bond effect. You can't really relate to James Bond, but you can watch him do a lot of those cool things with the flashy cars and the gadgets and everything else. But when you're writing a thriller like you and I write, you can't rely necessarily just on that. It has to have a human element and the technology allows you to bring that element out of your characters. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I've got characters in this story that carry forward this idea about that they they think it's all going, you know, too far and too fast. And I have the, you know, people who occupy the other position and saying, no, no listen, privacy is overrated. Most safety is the thing, you know, we need to be giving up more privacy in order to make this dangerous world a safer place. So, you know, these two two polarities are being argued out, you know, in the book. Right. And there's also the other aspect. I remember as a political science student years and years and years ago, I had a professor who was talking about how credit card companies and insurance companies were able to look at your buying habits and uh, figure out what you were going to do and how you were going to do it, sometimes even how long you were going to live. And he said, if you make it appealing enough, people will pay you handsomely to remove their freedoms. And that was way back in the 90s when he said that. And that's those words have only come true ever since. You know, yeah. with the advent of the iPhone and the smartphones and social media, it, it permeates every aspect of our lives. And I think that's what makes for a compelling work of fiction. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, in our increasingly atomized you know, isolated existences. Um, there is a there is a, an element where people don't feel um, that privacy means anything anymore. Um, mm -hmm. um, it, they're quite happy to surrender it um, because it's almost like proof that someone cares. Um, if someone wants all your data, that means you uh, you know that you matter, that mm -hmm. you're desired, that you're loved. You know. So, you know, but I have an old fashioned sense of privacy and I like to, you know, to keep my, you know, my, my secrets to myself, but we're increasingly living in a, in a secretless world. Right, exactly. And it also, as you said earlier, it affects our perception of the world too. Like I always tell 
aspiring writers, don't believe everything your favorite writers say on social media, because especially if they're fiction writers, we lie a lot. And you might not, you know, they, they took a picture of themselves in front of uh, Maserati, but that's not necessarily their Maserati, or they might not be hanging out at these places. It's just, you know, don't allow someone's perceived success to augment your definitive reality. No, and the ability to masquerade as someone else or present someone else's work as your own, whether it's from another person or from a robot, is, you know, it's undermining foundational institutions like education, where I've heard an, a Harvard professor saying he's no longer prepared to set homework for, for his students because he can't any longer distinguish between, uh, you know, real work done by the student and something produced by a chatbot. Yep. If, edu yeah. if education is having to um, surrender that ground, you know, without a public outcry, um, you know, I think that, you know, we need to take note, attention has to be paid because these mm -hmm. critical aspects of, of development, you know, you, young people's development. It is, it is. And also for society's well-being in the long run as well. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely scary times. And it sounds to me like you've got an awful lot left to say in this genre. And I think that my audience is going to want to follow you as you find your voice in thrillers. What's the best way that people can keep up to date with what you're doing and so online? It may be unpopular to say, but there is, I don't have an online presence at all. Um, Good. So uh, just share your ideas with each other and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'll pick them up in the breeze. And um, uh, you know, the books say things as well as I can. Um, so, you know, if there's any, when I have something interesting to say, I usually try to put it between the covers of the book. So, well, uh, that yeah. makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. And you've also got the Amazon author page too, that people can click on and uh, they can see exactly what, uh, what your latest books are. And it's, uh, and you also give interviews. So it's fantastic. They, they can, uh, they can find you that way as well. Well, wonderful to speak to you. Wonderful speaking to you, too, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And don't forget to visit bestthrillerbooks.com for all the best giveaways and reviews in the genre, bestthrillerbooks.com. See you next time, everybody. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.